Hello my freaky friends, this is the Horror Hound. Welcome to episode 3, season 1 of the Horrorverse. Today I'm going to discuss Theodore Robert Bundy and how he was a malevolent being on society. Over the years, many people have described their interactions with Bundy and, collectively, these impressions demonstrated Bundy's ability to be different things to different people. While the buildup of his academic misadventures, a fondness for co-ed victims, the ability to plan and organize his attacks, and merciless torturous control of his victims, Ted Bundy, in the end, succeeded in majoring in murder. Comparing Mr. Bundy's personal characteristics and criminal behavior with the fashionable violent sexual murder typologies demonstrates violent sexual homicide offense characteristics. Ted Bundy has been illustrated as an ideal violent sexual murderer with an exclusive validation of violent sexual homicide classification theories by presenting the best fit in the categories described as predatory. For the reason that Ted Bundy's violent sexual murders could perhaps be profiled as a typology, classified as lust and murder, to become historical figure by researching the noteworthy features of his life and his behavior from the violent sexual homicides he committed. Although Ted Bundy was an intelligent and charming individual, he displayed societal elegances that hid his psychosexual irresponsibility, was the inception of hypothetical and empirical research of murders involving that seeming acting out of sexually motivated behavioral and inner desires. Even though there are other classifications, whether attributed to a single incident of a series of crimes, differentiates sexualized homicide as a modus operandi, or signature grounded on violence committed on the body of the victim, and the scene suggests of the offender's general behavior. Theories that attempt to explain the unknown, especially when the subject of discussion is serial killers and why they do what they do. A noted criminal like Ted Bundy is thought that he had strong compulsions that led him to commit violent and sexual murders. In other words, Ted Bundy exhibited signs of the strain theory which suggests that he committed these heinous crimes to relieve psychological strain or stress. In the case of Ted Bundy, he was considered to be a sexual sadist, but was not labeled as psychotic. Mr. Bundy was not seeking to free himself of his desire, but rather to satisfy a fantasy that he had formed with his previous fiance. In Bundy's case, he killed his victims to relieve the stress and strain of that relationship which had caused him pain in the past. By punishing his victims, this was his justification of relieving the pain he had suffered previously and yet this continues to be a source of interest for criminal justice and criminology professionals as well as students. What seemed to be the biggest manhunt for a serial killer in the Pacific Northwest, mainly in Oregon and Washington State, led investigators to approach with an open minds while searching for facts relating to this occurrence without predetermined assumptions or suppositions. Additionally, every serial killer's motive to murder multiple victims may be intimidable, dependent on their past and their experiences, and is consequently difficult to enumerate short of keeping in mind assumptions of these hypotheses, to find conceivable cohesions or differences between them as a course to identifying possible life events and factors leading to serial killing. 
There are many predictions as to why serial killers do what they do, assuming that there are so-called life events that are precursors leading up to what we may know. However, in this particular case regarding Theodore Bundy, and what is known of his past provides insight. Secondly, it was hypothesized that a majority of the killers in the sample were reared in broken families. The prediction of commonalities among serial killers remains somewhat a mystery to researchers and psychologists everywhere, and yet there is only one theory that does stand out. It was foretold that no single distinguishment would be both essential and adequate for the prediction of serial murder habits in other individuals. The following audio clip was taken from YouTube. It is archived footage of Ted Bundy of his last day on Earth. You know, reporters seldom get to be uh, part of an event when it takes place. We wind up writing about things afterward and talking to witnesses and the police and authorities. But a little more than 25 years ago, I was on the front row. An official state witness for the execution of Ted Bundy, the most notorious serial killer of our time. And this is how I remember it. Two prison guards led him into the death chamber at 7 a.m., each arm manacled to the guards on either side. The execution is scheduled at 7 a.m. About time this man died. There was a lot of excitement about it. There was almost a carnival atmosphere out there. We're looking at signs that say Friday and Burn Monday. There was total disrespect for the execution of a human being. Now, all they were saying was Ted Bundy. Now, we were saying Ted Bundy and a human being in there. It was a sight of evil I think I'd never suspected I would see. He stopped in the doorway, and that's the part that's in my head. What do we have here, Kenneth? He didn't weigh more than 185, 90 pounds. He wasn't a huge man. He was under 6 feet, 5'10", 5'11". And he looked at us with the strangest look. 25 years later, with the execution in 1989, I... I had no idea that I would remember these details. I, I wish it had been photographed. Did anybody? Nobody shot it. They're not going to let anybody shoot it. Well, why? Well, because it's it's so anti-civilization. Well, for that reason, it should be seen. Of course, Hollywood has tried to recreate the execution scene, but this overly dramatized version is not what I saw that day. One of the differences that's clearly obvious here is that the video puts him here in a prison shirt. He's not in a prison shirt at all. They portray this man, this, this, this condemned man, to be in shock. Bundy was not in shock at all. He was in control of his, he appeared to be in control of his emotions. Do you have a final statement you'd like to make? And he said, give my love to my family and my friends. When they put the mask on him, they tightened the mask so tight. It twisted his head like this. It came up like that. It was about two foot wide slit. And behind that wall is the execution. And we could only see the person's head and two eyes. It then occurred to me that I'm looking at makeup on both eyes. And it looked very much like a woman, which, which would have been appropriate since he had killed so many women. Eight days later, Bundy turns the sorority house into a bloodbath. The young women that he assaulted were in their 20s, except for the one victim that we know of, who was a kid, a 12-year-old. 
from Lake City that he murdered. You used to feel safe being out, and after that, as a woman, you didn't. I just remember that. And so it was not just the death of the people, it was sort of a death of an innocence. Then a sudden jerk snapped his body back, and it was over. His life ended in a matter of minutes. We know that he took hours and days to execute his victims and put them through an unbelievable hell on earth. And within minutes, Ted Bundy was dead. His fists tightly clenched, body rigid in the chair that was made by inmates many years ago. Taking of a life is, uh, is <laughs> we're not supposed to do that. Uh, nobody's supposed to do that. There's nothing like seeing a serial killer of this magnitude executed. There's nothing that compares to this because it shapes your whole uh, senses about what life is about. More than anything else, there's a, there's a feeling of relief that it's over. Uh, and that I think the justice has been served after a long time. I think when I left, I, I, was, I was less a proponent of capital punishment. It's not something I lost a lot of sleep over. It is not something that uh, really troubled me afterward. But what it does in reminding me of the details is bring back a lot of the, uh, I guess, the overwhelming sensation of relief when this thing was over. I think I got a different appreciation of life during this episode. The body will likely be buried in a pauper's grave near the prison here at Stark. Now I want to show you something here. This is a comparison of the old sketch that was done 25 years ago and the new one we just did, our artist did, and you can, you can see they're really very similar. I want to thank Channel 10. Societal biases and assumptions are the most important apprehension in the court system because they can change a verdict contingent on the predispositions of jurors. Many also believe that murderers cannot be rehabilitated no matter what the serial killer should have been executed to save time and the taxpayer's money, which essentially is the wrong answer. The death penalty, especially in the case of serial killers, is detrimental and hurts society more than it helps. Conversely, a life sentence without parole is believed to be just as effective. It serves as a deterrent to commit crime again, and has been proven that the offenders tend to cooperate even more with a life sentence rather than being executed. Moreover, to juror attitudes and misapprehensions about the legal aspects of the defense itself, jurors imply theories about what institutes insanity are strongly related with verdicts and the judges may be contingent in a large part on attitudes and conceptions from the judge, jurors, and prosecutors, sometimes somewhat other than legal standards as applied to the evidence. Conclusively, in this particular case, many studies have revealed that the American public misjudges both the uses of success and the insanity plea in the courtroom. Ted Bundy's case was extremely fascinating, not only to the public, but the judicial and legal system as well, which made an impact in the court proceedings. The charisma and charm that he displayed gave him the advantage to manipulate his victims and the legal aspects with the prosecutors and defense attorneys. Reveling with the attention from the media, Bundy was also able to taunt and mess with the police. Even up to the last minute, Bundy tried to manipulate and con his way out of execution by offering to confess of his crimes. Ultimately, his ploy did not work. 
It is believed at one point the consistence of Seattle thought that Ted Bundy was the victim due to relationship inconsistencies with Drew Bundy into a which drew Bundy into a monstrous web of unfortunate circumstances, and yet Bundy was determined to declare himself innocent. Scholars have determined that serial killers for the most part seem to possess the confidence to know right from wrong, the acts they commit are not always completely intended. For Ted Bundy to be labeled the all-American boy, a devil disguising as an angel, his fate was met on January 24th, 1989. A judge in Miami today followed the jury's recommendation and sentenced Theodore Bundy to die in the electric chair for the murder of two co-eds. Bundy is the 136th person under death sentence in Florida. Ed Rabel reports. Before pronouncing the sentence, Judge Edward Coward let Bundy make a statement. I'm not asking for mercy. For I find it somewhat absurd to ask mercy for something I did not do. So I will be tortured for and will suffer for and receive the pain for that act. But I will not share the burden for the guilt. In imposing sentence, Judge Coward cited the savagery of the crimes and what he called the indifference of the defendant. This court, independent of, but in agreement with, the advisor's sentence rendered by the jury does hereby impose the death penalty upon the defendant, Theodore Robert Bundy. Then, in an unexpected move, perhaps an afterthought, Coward stunned the courtroom with some parting words for Bundy. Take care of yourself, young man. Thank you. All right, now say that to you sincerely. Take care of yourself. It's a tragedy for this court to see that such a total waste, I think, of humanity that I've experienced in this court. You're a bright young man. You made a good lawyer. I'd love to have you practice in front of me, but you went another way, partner. Bundy says he'll appeal. Meanwhile, he has been ordered to the state prison to await setting of the date of his execution in the electric chair. Ed Rabel, CBS News, Miami. Although the police were under the assumption that there was not a chance for Ted Bundy to fit the profile of a serial killer due to his charisma and being a clean-cut law student, these facts make Mr. Bundy a fascinating and unique individual. To many experts and psychologists, Ted Bundy was indeed conclusively a successful serial killer. Even though he possessed the traits of a murderer yet somehow managed to succeed and take advantage of others while evading punishment. Bundy's mental health and psychiatric state have long been called into question. Expert scholars have deliberated that linking his crimes to his mental illness creates detrimental oversimplifications about people with mental illnesses. With Ted Bundy being diagnosed by many psychiatrists as antisocial, which is also known as a personality disorder, it is no surprise that he raped and murdered all those women. During the court proceedings that were held in Miami, Florida, Ted Bundy was convinced that he was completely innocent, and he also managed to declare his innocence to the entire country. Bundy's persona, which seemed unintelligible, was not unusual to him at all. Instead of him, it seemed very normal due to the initial recesses of his unique personality 
and is viewed as a multifaceted pattern of deeply rooted in psychological characteristics. Perhaps when the news media was covering the trial, it gave Ted Bundy the charisma boost that he needed to delay proceedings time after time. Appealing many emotions, including a change of venue because he was getting annoyed with eating grilled cheese sandwiches constantly. To make the trial proceedings even more interesting, Mr. Bundy took it upon himself to become his own defense attorney after the court appointed attorney resigned due to be embarrassed in court. Ted Bundy was practicing and researching law which gave him the advantage of being familiar with state laws and procedures. The more evidence that was presented in court, the more irrational Bundy became, believing that the evidence presented was inadmissible and did not have any concrete evidence to ascertain a guilty ruling from the jury. As one of the most infamous serial killers in American history, the saga of Ted Bundy in the 1970s arguably changed the way society thinks about serial killers and horrors of sexual violence and murder. There is certainly a lot to cover about this particular case, and possibilities that no one will have all the answers in knowing that Ted Bundy was psychologically and a law student that worked on a Republican presidential campaign, a suicide hotline, an operation for a governor of Washington. He was pleasant and gave the impression of being successful, which is what made him so dangerous to the public and society. Learning from past cases regarding serial killers, rapists, and other types of offenders helps refine the correlation of their personalities and events. It better makes the researchers and experts aware of what previous offenders have done, what they were thinking or feeling during the occurrence, if there was remorse after the fact, or simply to comprehend why and how. In understanding these topics, nature and nurture will be further analyzed to determine the exact roles they play in the human mind. These acts of violence belong to the complete characteristic of nature as opposed to nurture. Essentially after the Ted Bundy murders or any famous series of murders has helped law enforcement better understand why murderers do what they do and in this particular case Bundy is a paradigm of genocide representing a breed of sexually driven male serial killers who were glamorized in television and movies and titillating stories in the mass media. And yet, all of this was turned Ted Bunny into a celebrity due to his persona, and the credit goes to the mass media. Ted Bunny put serial killers into the public awareness, but he also changed how we think of mass murderers, who, until then, had been thought as demented like Charles Manson or the Son of Sam. In a normal state of mind, a serial killer will not attempt to beguile his or her innocence by stating that he or she is possessed by another or outside influence such as a demon or aliens, such as Ted Bundy did. At one point, it is believed that Ted Bundy felt he deserved the death penalty but was changed his mind towards the end was nothing but the absolute fear of death. Perhaps he thoughtfully believed that he would go to hell even though he had no remorse for his victims or the victims' families pertaining to weep as he thought it would help his case appeal the death penalty. Being labeled as a menace to society, he led a fan base that was deeply involved with his life and many women loved him even though they did not know him. It makes the public wonder why such a man would be fascinated by the female population. 
his natural talent to manipulate his victims and the target-based audience gave him the persona of a charming predator and the up-close examination of destructive behavior, whether it involves violence, fraud, or simply a web of lies, seems to be having a comprehensive edifying moment. Attempting to cope with society's love for an attractive sociopath, coming from the true crime community and yet many true crime enthusiasts are now emerging ways to prevent killers from swaying the accounts in their favor. Conclusively, the public and the judicial system has discovered a way to push back against it by keeping the stories from bolstering a predator's embellished self-impression. Once more, this may seem unpretentious, but the simple fact of not letting the perpetrator have the last word about themselves can be authoritative and impactful at the same time. On the next episode of the Horrorverse, join me as I talk about the Atlanta Tower murders, a city under siege. The entire nation watched in fascination and horror. While it could not be ruled out there were multiple suspects for the conduct of a hate crime organization or society from 1979 to 1981, the killings of young African-American boys brought the city to a full stop. Multiple murders later, the police still failed to treat the case as the works of a solitary killer. The increase in murders was endangering the city's ability to grow in industry. Nevertheless, the points emphasized in this case reveal many ways in which youth murderers resonated across urban Atlanta and the United States. <laughs>